Good morning. If you're visiting with us today, I want to welcome you. Thank you for being here today. It's just the opportunity to worship together with you. Well, I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas. You know, but I primarily hope you were able to focus on the sacrifice of Christ leaving heaven to come to earth as a baby and ultimately to die on the cross for our sins. You know, last Sunday, you know, Kent preached an incredible Christmas message. And at the very end of it, he talked about why Christ ultimately came. His ultimate purpose in coming to earth was to redeem. To redeem a people to himself. Well, by God's providence, we're going to continue our study in the book of Ephesians with a focus on redemption. Um, it's always interesting when God just parlays all the different things in a service together, and it's just exciting to see how he does that. Well, during my last sermon, we discussed God's plan in forming the church and how God's word provides us with a firmer defense against those who would question God's plan. We discussed how God's plan is perfect and how he is the author of his redemptive plan. So today we're going to continue that important topic of redemption because it's one of the themes, major themes of Scripture, and especially here in the book of Ephesians. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but, you know, when I was a little boy growing up, my mom was an avid S&H green stamp collector. Okay, I see a few smiling faces, mostly from us that have gray hair or no hair. But, uh, you know, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. So let me relate this. You know, these these trading stamps were very popular back in the day, very popular. So for every dollar you purchased an item, they would give you in return these stamps. And you built these books with them, and you were able to go and purchase merchandise with these stamps. So there's other similar programs that exist today that give you free points when you buy food or drinks or uh, things like that. I know some of you are avid point collectors and get free coffee every morning or you you go to Chick-fil-A or some other uh, restaurant and, and get free food. So you can understand. However, none of these redemption programs that we're, you know, that we're talking about today are able to be redeemed for what we need most. To redeem our depraved souls. You know, redemption carries much more than the idea of simply exchanging one thing for another of similar value. So today in the book of Ephesians, we're going to see what God's word says about God's plan of redemption. So let's begin by reading uh, in verse 3, chapter 1 of Ephesians, starting in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoptions as sons, through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention which he purposed in him, with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of the times that in the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon the earth. Before we discuss the topic of redemption, we need to begin by defining the meaning of redemption. The term redemption comes from one of six terms taken from the field of law and used in the New Testament in relation to salvation. One of the terms used for redemption refers to the legal acquittal of a charge and is used theologically to speak of a sinner's being found blameless, justified, and declared righteous before God. Another term basically means to send away and is used to indicate the legal repayment or cancellation of a debt or the granting of a pardon and is used in scripture to refer to God's forgiveness of sin. The third term used for redemption refers to the legal process of adopting a child and it is used by Paul to represent the believer's adoption into God's family. The fourth term means to legally reconcile two disputing parties in court, and in the New Testament is used to represent a believer's reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. There's two more terms, but I hope you stick with me because these last two terms really help bring this home. I mean, you can see how complex redemption is, right? All these different terms are used to explain the various aspects of redemption. And the fifth and sixth terms related to redemption are two Greek legal terms. The fifth term refers to buying or purchasing, and in the New Testament is used to denote being spiritually purchased or redeemed as highlighted in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. The sixth term for redemption is the one that's used here in verse 7, which means to release from captivity, but it carries an even stronger meaning is in and it is behind the noun that we can be referred to as redemption. This word is used to refer to paying a ransom in order to release a person from bondage, particularly slavery. That's the term I want us to focus on today as we go through this sermon. Talking about slavery, did you know during the Roman Empire there were approximately 6 million slaves? And the buying and selling of them was a major business. If a person wanted to free a loved one or a friend who was a slave, he would buy that slave for himself and then grant him freedom, testifying of that deliverance with a written certificate. So all previous slaves had a written certificate to show they had been freed. It's the same idea used in the New Testament to represent Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross. He paid the redemptive price to buy for himself a fallen people and to set them free from their sin. Everyone born since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden has come into the world enslaved to sin. The only people who have not been enslaved to sin are those who have not yet been born. We all were born under total bondage to a nature that is depraved and separated from God. Therefore, no person is free of sin or its consequences. 
Paul declares in Romans 6.23 where he says, the wages of sin is death. And in Romans 3.10, Paul says, there is none righteous, no, not even one. But Jesus provides us even more clarity regarding sin, slavery. In John 8.34, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. So sin is both our captor and our slave owner, and it demands a price for our release. But what is the price for our release? Death. That's the price. That's the price that had to be paid for our spiritual redemption from sin. It took a gracious and loving act of God by which he paid that ransom price for our sin that brings about our redemption. In Romans 6.18, Paul speaks of redemption as our having been freed from sin and becoming slaves of righteousness. In Galatians 1, 3-4, he describes redemption by saying that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins that, we might deliver, that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of our Father, our God and Father. In Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul says... He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So redemption is no small matter, okay? I mean, it's, it's a matter of eternal life or eternal death. It is a major topic of the Bible, if not the major topic. Redemption is paying our ransom in order to release us from bondage. So what are these various aspects of that? Are the elements of redemption? Let's talk about that. But I want to reread verses 5 through 10. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon the earth. So Paul mentions five specific elements or aspects of redemption here. And the first is Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. Jesus Christ alone is the Redeemer. Number two, believers are the redeemed. It is Christians, believers in Jesus Christ that are the redeemed. Number three, redemption's price. It costs to be redeemed. Number four, redemption's result. What is the result, result of Christ dying on the cross? And lastly, the reason for redemption. Why did we need redemption and why did God send Jesus Christ to redeem us? So the first point Paul makes is Jesus Christ is our beloved Redeemer. Verse 5 says he predestined us to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. 
Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. It's by God's grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, referring to Jesus Christ. And because believers are in him, we have redemption. Jesus Christ is our redeemer. He is the beloved who paid the price for our release from sin and death. By faith, we have been redeemed, and we now belong to Christ because he paid the ransom as the beloved redeemer. Well, God the Father declared Christ to be my beloved son in Matthew 3.17. And because believers have, been placed, have placed their faith in him, he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, according to Colossians 1.13. And according to Romans 1.7, because we are now in the beloved, we too are beloved of God. You know, when you think about these truths, it's staggering that we are part of God's family because we have been redeemed. The Father loves believers as he loves Christ's and wants us to have everything that Christ has. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 1, 3, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every Christian is God's beloved child because the Lord Jesus Christ has become our Redeemer. So Jesus Christ is the Redeemer, but who are the redeemed? It is believers and Christians who have been graced by God, and therefore it's the believers who are the redeemed. Part of verse 6 says, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, and verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The Redeemer, Jesus Christ, has freely bestowed His grace on the redeemed, who are the ones who have redemption through His blood. Later on in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Paul reminds us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. We lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We were the kind of people lost without hope that God chose to redeem. Praise God that he chose to redeem us. Why do we need, why do we need to be redeemed? We need redemption because we are totally depraved and without hope. We were destined to pay the price for our sin. <laughs> Titus 2.14 tells us this is, that is why Christ gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Praise the Lord that he chose to redeem us from our sins and reconcile us to the Father. However, until a person realizes their sin and their need for redemption... There's, they see no need for a redeemer. Until they recognize that they are hopelessly enslaved to sin, they will not seek release from it. But when they do so, their need, see their need, and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they will be freed from the curse of sin and placed in Christ's body and blessed with every spiritual blessing. 
That's the most important decision of life. To choose or reject Christ. For he is the redeemer. He is the redeemer. Believers are the redeemed. But there's a significant price to be paid for that redemption. What is redemption's price? Price? In verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. The price of redemption cost Christ his life, his blood. It cost the blood of the Son of God to buy men back from the slave market of sin. You know, the shedding of blood is required to remove that penalty of spiritual death. Christ's own blood was that substitute for our death. Jesus Christ paid that price for what would have condemned us to eternal death and hell. He alone paid that price of redemption for us, and he forever paid that price that we could never pay. You know, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the uh, blood of sacrificial animals was continually offered at the altars of the tabernacle and the temple as a substitute for sin. But that blood was never able, nor was it intended to redeem us from sin. Those unblemished animals were only symbolic substitutes. Hebrews 10 verse 4 says, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But later in verse 10 in that same chapter, it says, In the shedding of his blood, we have been sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. In Matthew 26, 28, Jesus said that his blood was poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. And then in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, he said, We were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Jesus Christ has paid that price for all enslaved by sin, he has bought us out of bondage and, bondage and set us free as sons of God. His death frees believers from sin's guilt, its condemnation, bondage, power, and penalty. And one glorious day, it will free us from the very presence of sin. What an amazing and glorious day that's going to be. No more temptation. No more sin. That is going to be a great day. So we've covered three of the five. Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. Believers are the redeemed. Redemption's price was the blood of Christ. But what was redemption's result? Part of verse 7, 8, and 9, it says, The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Our redemption encompasses every conceivable good thing. If you recall, it includes every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. However, in this passage, Paul focuses on two especially important aspects of redemption. Forgiveness of our trespasses and the lavishing of wisdom and insight on us. The primary result of redemption for the believer is forgiveness. It is one of the central truths of God's Word. It is also the most amazing and glorious truth to all who have believed and experienced its blessing. 
Jesus explained to the disciples at the Last Supper that the cup represented his blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. It is redemption that brings forgiveness. You know, various psychologists and the gen and generally speaking, the world system falsely claims we can't be blamed for our sin, but instead it's the fault of you name it, genetics, whatever. They attempt to blame our DNA, our environment, our parents, or anything else that would relieve us of accountability and our guilt. But our sin is our own fault, and therefore the corresponding guilt is ours as well. If we honestly examine our own hearts, we know that's true. The gospel doesn't teach that men have no sin or guilt, but rather that Christ will take away both the sin and the guilt of all who believe and trust in him. Paul told the Jews in Antioch, through him, Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things. Through the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, although that was beautiful and meaningful, it did not actually remove people's sin. It was just a picture of what only Jesus Christ could and would do. Through the shedding of his own blood, Jesus Christ actually took the sins of the world upon himself. He is the only perfect sacrifice that could and actually did take away the sin of the world. Only he provided the forgiveness of our trespasses. Psalms 103.12 says, God has removed those sins as far as the east is from the west, infinitely removed, an infinite distant, distance for an infinite time. Hard to understand, but still a truth. Unfortunately, many Christians are anxious or even depressed about their shortcomings and wrongdoings, thinking and acting as if God still holds them accountable for their sins. They're forgetting that Jesus took their sins upon himself and they are now eternally separated from those sins. They forget God's promises in Isaiah 44, 22, that one day he would wipe out the transgressions of believers like a thick cloud and their sins like a heavy mist. That is so amazing. Hey, what is so amazing about it is, is, is that even before Jesus Christ had paid the price of redemption, God spoke of it as having already happened. Christians forget that God looked down through human history even before he fashioned the earth and placed the sins of the elect on the head of his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, he removed our sins before we were born. Before we were even thought of, he removed our sins. You know, amazing grace is more than just a couple of words. It's a reality. Hundreds of years before Jesus Christ died on the cross at Calvary, Micah proclaimed, who is, like, who is a God like thee who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19.
To ancient Israel, the distance from the east to the west and the depths of the sea represented infinity. They were forever gone. God's forgiveness is infinite in depth and distance, and it takes away our trespasses to the farthest reaches of eternal infinity. A staggering yet glorious thought. Forgiveness in Jesus Christ is absolutely undeserved, but it is free. It is absolutely complete. Believers have Him, and therefore they have freedom from sin eternally. In Christ, our sins past, present, and future are forgiven. In fact, our sin was forgiven countless ages before we committed them and will remain forgiven forever. It is true that we have been redeemed. However, we do need to continued forgiveness of cleansing because we continue to sin. Even though we continue to sin, Jesus is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He forgives all our sins in the comprehensive grace of salvation. It doesn't mean we will not, no longer sin. Believers must ask for forgiveness daily so that we may enjoy not just the general forgiveness of redemption, but the specific forgiveness of daily cleansing that restores our fellowship with the Father. The vastness and comprehensiveness of our forgiveness is seen in verse 7 where Paul says it is according to the riches of his grace. God's grace, like his love and holiness, power, and all of his other attributes, are boundlessly infinite. It is far beyond our ability to comprehend or describe, yet we know it is true according to the riches of that infinite grace that he provides, infinite forgiveness. God's forgiveness not only is given according to the riches of his grace, but it's lavished on us. So, so we should never worry about our sin somehow outstripping God's grace of forgiveness. In Romans 5.20, Paul assures us, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Our Heavenly Father just doesn't simply give us just enough forgiveness that'll barely cover our sins. He lavishes His grace on us. As wicked and extensive as our sins might be, they will never overcome the greatness of God's grace. His forgiveness is infinite, and He lavishes it upon us without measure. Therefore, we get to enjoy future glory with God, and we get to enjoy present fellowship with Him now. Well, the second result of redemption for the believer is being given wisdom and insight. Well, what is wisdom and insight? Wisdom emphasizes understanding of life and death, God and man, righteousness and sin, heaven and hell, and eternity and time. Insight emphasizes practical understanding, comprehension of the needs, problems, and principles of everyday living. It is spiritual prudence in the handling of daily matters. So God not only forgives us, but he also gives us the, all the necessary faculties to understand him and to walk daily through this world in a way that glorifies him and reflects his will. He generously gives us the means and ability both to understand his word and to know how to obey it. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6, 
7 and 12, Paul says, We do not speak wisdom among those who are, who are mature of wisdom. However, do... Let me start over. We do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. And he concludes in verse 16, we have the mind of God, the mind of Christ. However, those who don't acknowledge Christ or God's existence don't have the slightest idea what life or the universe or eternity are all about because they don't have God's wisdom and insight. In Matthew eleven twenty-five, Jesus says, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent and didst, and didst reveal them to the babes. He reveals them to believers, wisdom and insight to believers. When God takes away sin, he does not leave us in a spiritual, moral, and mental vacuum where we must work out things on our own. He lavishes wisdom and insight on us according to the riches of his grace in the same way he lavishes forgiveness on us. Well, this all begs the question, why? Why would God do this? Why would he want to redeem a people to himself? So what is this reason for redemption? Verses 9 and 10, it says, According to his kind intention which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon the earth. Why has God redeemed us? Why has he blessed us with every spiritual blessing, chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world, make us holy and blameless, predestined us to adoption as his children, redeemed us through his blood, and lavishly given us forgiveness, wisdom, and insight according to the infinite riches of his grace? That's a huge question. That is a major question. Why would God do this? God redeems men in order that he might gather everything to himself. It is because of his great love for men that he chose to redeem us. The time of that gathering will be in the millennial kingdom, which Paul says will be an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. When the completion of history comes, the kingdom arrives. Eternity begins again. And the new heaven and the new earth are established. There will be a summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon the earth. Jesus Christ is the goal of history, which finds its resolution in him. The paradise lost in Adam will be restored in the new Adam, Jesus Christ. At that time, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At the present time, the universe is corrupted and divided, <laughs> splintered, since it's under the control of Satan and his demonic angels. But in God's timing, Satan will be thrown into the pit. 
and ultimately cast into the lake of fire for all eternity, according to Revelation chapter 20. John MacArthur wraps it up just like this. Apart from the wisdom and insight God provides his children, a hopeless conclusion is inescapable. But, but history belongs to God, not to the puny plans of men or the perverse power of Satan. History is written and directed by its creator, who will see it through to the fulfillment of his own ultimate purpose, which is the summing up of all things in Christ. He designed his great plan in the ages past. He now sovereignly works it out according to his divine will. And in the fullness of the times, he will complete and perfect it in his Son, in whom it will forever operate in righteous harmony and glorious newness, along with all things in the heavens and things upon the earth. Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. There's no other. He is the only one who could have redeemed us. All believers are the redeemed. You must have faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be a believer. Jesus Christ paid redemption's price with his own life. His own blood was shed for the redemption of our sins. Forgiveness is redemption's result. And lastly, God's love is the reason for redemption. This message from Paul should be a huge encouragement to all Christians. To all believers who have put their faith and trust in Jesus' redemptive work on the cross. All believers should enjoy and rejoice that we have been redeemed. We should exalt the name of Jesus because he paid the price for our redemption and that the result is our complete redemption. And it is all because of God's infinitely wonderful love for us. If you're here today and you have, no, you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, please let this be the day that you follow him, that you choose to follow after Christ. Please don't hesitate to make a decision today because today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Christ to be born in a manger but ultimately to die on the cross for our sin, our sin that we could never pay. Thank you for the work of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Thank you that he was willing to be obedient to your plan, to your desire to redeem us as your people. I ask, Lord, that you would just continue to help us to Think on that each and every day of the year, not just around Christmas time or at Easter, but to think of it all year long, each and every day, the amazing work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. I thank you for this time you've given us to worship you. I thank you, Lord, for loving us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.